Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Honest Retail. I think we are on episode 12. Super excited that we're at 12 episodes down. Episode before Expo West, uh, we were all chatting before we started recording here. Uh, how three of the four of us are, are looking forward to the event. Taylor will be there in spirit. Uh, but very excited uh, to have Jake Carls uh, from Midday Squares on the podcast today. I've been trying to get him on for a while. We're all big fans of the products um, and the man and the myth. And so very excited to have you on, Jake. Um, how are you doing? And for anybody who doesn't know, could you serve us up a little bit of an introduction to you and Midday Squares? Yeah, well, epic intro, except I think we're missing one word, the man, the myth, the legend. You know? <laughs> and I'm kidding. I'm just screw around. Um, so yeah, my name's Jake um, Carls. I'm one of the co-founders of Midday Squares. And uh, we're basically a functional chocolate company. So we're basically trying to create what Hershey's were to look like if they were to start in 2022. So really create on product innovation on the chocolate side, but also innovation on the way that we interact with consumers. So from a very authentic and transparent angle, we try to build that brand equity and community. So I think that's a little different as we have basically two companies under one, a chocolate manufacturing business, and then a media company within the organization. So I think that's pretty good. Other than that, I'm fired up for Expo West. I think we're gonna have a blast, all of us. And it's exciting to see people again. So pretty pumped. Yeah, I spent, I, there's a few times that you like try a product and you're like, oh, this is like wholly original or something different that I tried. And that was definitely kind of like my experience with Midday Squares. I spent like a year selling peanut bar chocolate bars like across New York City, which I would tell a lot of people don't go into that industry. It's very tough, but for you guys, like the product is so scalable and so big and, and the growth is there, but the product itself is awesome. So anybody listening, I definitely implore you guys to go out and try it and find the product. Um, before we dive into brands that caught our attention over the last week, uh, Jake, like two episodes back, we talked about your guys's uh, diss track leak. I feel like we're, we're doing a hip hop kind of uh, podcast here talking about diss track leaks and, and kind of what the genesis was behind it, obviously kind of um, some of the, animo not animosity, but just kind of the buildup between you guys and Hershey, and then what was behind that, and then kind of how you're pushing NFTs as a next wave behind that district as well. But we'll just kind of get your firsthand account on that initiative, and, and we can kind of add to our listeners who followed us on that episode. Yeah, so for sure. So yeah, so for the people, I guess, that, that might not know, in last year, about 11 months ago, I can't remember the exact timing, we were in talks with Hershey for an acquisition offer. And for us, the, in the core DNA of Midday Squares, my partners and I, my sister, my brother-in-law and I, we actually don't want to sell the company. We want to build this as a legacy brand. So an acquisition talk is not that we're not open-minded to the conversation, but it's not something that's in our blood to want to do and actually sell the company. We're having too much fun. So we ended up saying no, and everything was really Gucci and fine with, with the brand and, and the product. And they actually love the product. And we're big fans of Hershey's, um, you know, their childhood favorite, one of the childhood favorites, right? And I'm still a fan, just to, just to let you know. But basically, two months after that, after we, we basically said no, we received legal suits, you know, seasons assist for, for packaging infringements, for color. And they also sent us 32 pages of customers basically saying um, that the product is a healthier version of a Reese meaning that our product's a better version of this product. And they basically said that the customers are going into the store and they're mixing up midday squares with Reese's. And that's completely false. If you just look at the products, they're very different. Even the color of orange was not the exact same Pantone. So they came at us and what's ironic about midday squares is we film everything. We actually document the entire journey. Like I said before about the media side, we literally film the good, the bad, the ugly. So basically we filmed six hours, sorry, 42 hours of footage from the moment that they, we spoke about the acquisition to the moment where we had to rebrand the actual product because we didn't end up going to court with them. And what happened was, was we told that story. That was the best thing that we could do was basically share what smaller companies typically go through with larger corporations that come at, that come at them. And we basically shared that story and it blew up. And long story short, our consumer base was so amped up, energized by us and fueled, not, not the hate. There was no hate. It was more like, I understand what you're going through. I feel y'all and I wanna be part of this and cheer you on. And what ended up happening was Hershey had no comment to all the, the response, the media and all that stuff afterwards, after we shared the story of what happened. 
And then basically we were creating a music, a song. And my sister had this whole crazy whack idea of creating this track. And, you know, knowing her, when we, she says these ideas, we just go with the flow, Nick and I. And we ended up doing it. And we got a lyricist. We got a producer. We went in the studio. Every, and this was months of work, like months. And I remember saying, like, I don't know how to rap. Like, I don't know how I could rap. I, I'm not an artist. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll learn, I guess. And we ended up creating the track. And it was sick. And there was a diss track portion of it, according to Hershey's. And I remember the producer saying, if y'all put so much effort into this track, why aren't you putting that effort into a crazy fucking music video? Like MTV style, early 2000s fire it up and leslie and i looked at each other nick looked at each other and we're like well that's actually not a bad idea let's do that and we looked at the prices and it was about three hundred thousand plus dollars to create a, that style of music video and leslie's just like we don't have the budget for that we could do sixty-five thousand. so she ended up finding someone for sixty-five thousand, and our community during this time was always literally messaging us on instagram on, on linkedin on facebook to get into the NFT space. They're like, you guys got to do an NFT. You guys got to do all this crazy stuff. And for us, we were just like, well, we don't have anything to offer on that side. You know, we're not giving shares. We don't have this digital art piece in that world. And we said, holy shit, the diss track, the moment of history that we started our, our moments with Hershey's from a pop culture standpoint is exactly something scarce, right? It's something that's going to build momentum over time. It's going to be scarce. If you look at it in 20 years, you know, 20 years from today, it's going to be a crucial moment that basically set the tone that midday squares is not Hershey's midday squares is midday squares. And we won't stop. And basically we made a diss track, made a music video and the NFT is coming out in the next couple of weeks, I believe. Don't quote me hundred percent, but it's basically all about that experience. And we're actually going to let our, our, our community own pieces of this history similar to like what Coca-Cola and Pepsi had beef in the 60s or 70s early on, which is now worth crazy amounts. They sell their cans that are like from the 60s for like thousands on thousands of dollars. And it's a not-for-profit, which is interesting because we're utilizing all the funds that come from it to pump it back into media and hype about it. So it's just to enable the community to keep growing, growing, growing and give them something from midday squares. Awesome. Yeah. Great recap. I think um, the, the biggest thing I love to highlight there, especially for like all the brands listening is like documenting over creation, like on this journey and like you guys do a good job of it. I know like Gary V preaches it all the time. Right. And you see very few brands that they don't realize like the monotonous day-to-day -day stuff that they think is just running the business is actually super interesting to their fans and followers. And like, if you just put that out there, they're going to be really um, responsive to it. And so you guys do a great job with that. Um, and that was a, that was a great kind of uh, uh, recap of, of the event. So, uh, all right, let's go over hey, some. Cameron, yeah. Sorry, CJ. Real quick. The, the thing that I, I think is so fascinating about this and Jake, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you is like we did an episode I don't know, four, maybe four back with Kiva, who I think is an, an investor at Midday Squares. And, and both Kiva and I are obsessed with this idea that media and CPG are collapsing into the same thing. And like the really easy thing to do is point at examples of like Logan Paul's Prime or Mr. Beast's Feastables, where someone already had a massive audience and then used, you know, low production value, high engagement content to work with them. Like, I, you know, the thing that I think is so cool about Midday Squares and what you're doing, Jake, is you guys are kind of going in at the opposite way. Like you're, you, you might not have already had the, the reach for as far as an engagement as like a local Paul, but you're making such compelling content that people can't help but come along and become fans and then become, you know, serious buyers of the brand. So I, I, I just think that's one of the coolest things I've heard in a while. So congratulations. Yeah, and I also think, hi, Jake, not nice to meet you because I know you and I'm excited to have you on here. I mean, even just building on CJ's point, like last night, you guys posted your sister, I believe, and, and Nick had to, you know, pass along kind of ownership of the dog of, I think, their yeah. dog. And what I thought was really compelling about that is, um, you know, I'm a founder of my own business. We all run our own endeavors. And even something like that, they're like, well, how does that tie back to the business? Like it does because it showcases like firsthand, like I have animals and I think about, wow, it takes so much time and so, so much responsibility to first just own a company and be responsible for others and be responsible for kind of the well-being of your business. And then you're now responsible for an animal. And so even something like that, just like watching footage last night of like how heartbreaking it was for you guys to have to give 
ownership away of a dog, like again, like how does that tie back? Well, it ties back because it shows the ethos of the company and how much you guys are putting into this business and like how it is taking a toll. And that is something that was very raw and very real and also very relatable. So I just wanted to add in, I, it was very sad, but I understood. Yeah. I think Taylor, a great point bringing up about, and, and CJ as well, about the media clashing with CPG. I think every other industry is, has taken a lot from the entertainment world, but CPG I found over, only over the last couple of years has started to interact with the entertainment world. And what I mean entertainment is not celebrities. I mean more content creation and, and the idea of telling a story rather than product feature or product benefits. I think what Taylor said is super important. Relatability is probably the most driving factor for any community out there, whatever business you're in or whatever type of thing you're doing. We shared a story of the office dog, Freddie Paloma, who we were so <laughs> excited, so excited. There's a dog in there. We were so excited to actually, um, you know, have, we spent, you know, my sister and her, my, her husband spent two years getting excited about this dog and then coming in they didn't realize the actual amount of work that goes into it. And slowly I was watching them over the two weeks be very sad and depressed because they couldn't do it. They knew in their brain, they couldn't do it. And once they had the dog and what ended up happening was their marriage was starting to take a hit. Their business sense and their time and energy for it was starting to take a hit. And slowly the dominoes were happening and it was crucial that this dog didn't stay. Otherwise the life wouldn't be fair for the dog, number one. And the, the life for Nick and Leslie and all of us part of this company went to bit fair either. And again, documenting allowed for someone like Taylor who has a pet, who is working really hard, has her own businesses, things like that to relate and be like, I get it, I feel it, I, I understand. And now I'm more emotionally attached to this brand or these individuals. Problem with most brands is they focus less on that. They focus more on what, what, what does this Kiwi do for you? Is it healthy that has potassium or whatever? They focus on that angle specifically only, and they don't focus on the story of what's actually transpiring. You know, you look at Shark Tank, those ratings are so high on that show and it's so surface level. It's not even like deep, you know, people want to see emotions. They want to see good and bad. They don't just want to see greatness and they want to see real authentic stuff. And I think that over the next decade in CPG, including potentially the conglomerates. I don't know. This is, a, this is a prediction. They're going to have to tell a different story. They're going to have to tell an authentic story that is relatable to the generation that's coming up, but also the boomers. The boomers are wanting this now. Everyone's wanting powerful storytelling. It's something we crave as humans. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think um, super impactful and something I hope a lot of brands that are listening take away from this. So um, CJ, let's start with you in terms of brands that caught your attention um, over the last week. Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to start off by saying I am in the middle of New Mexico in a town called Truth or Consequences, which uh, is probably the coolest town name I've ever heard. And it's definitely what I am renaming our fund's due diligence process. Um, and but. <laughs> <laughs> so far, the only consequences um, have been that the hotel internet is bad enough that I have dialed in. So sorry, I can't be there face-to-face uh, you know, -face with you guys. Um, as far as a brand, I have been searching for a new pair of boots. Um, you know, you know, one, one, you know I, my last pair lasted like 10 years, um, time for a new pair. And I came across this brand called Brunt Workwear. Um, and like the more I dug into it, the more it kind of became fascinating. Like, so it's, it's basically a, you know, kind of e-commerce oriented brand that is targeted towards the 17 million, well, let me read this off the website. So more than 17 million workers in the construction, installation, maintenance, and repair industries, which very cool, kind of like probably underserved subset. Like not a lot of people are, are actively targeting them and their success has been awesome not unlike i don't know if you guys are familiar with this company called figs my my brother is in the medical field and he loves fig scrubs um and it's built an amazing business just kind of re rethinking what scrubs should be and the more i dug into this company kind of like the wilder it got so the person who founded this company um, his name is eric and he's previous experiences working at rue la la and m jemmy which is like a luxury italian footwear so like in no world does this gentleman Eric like wear work boots on like you know in, in a trade on on a construction site, and yet he's built one of the like fastest growing workwear companies out there. 
the boots are great. Um, and they just did a round that was led by Stripes, but like what was even weirder is Erewhon invested and Khalifa Farms invested. Like I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around like what's going on in brunch, but it's cool. Um, and I'm definitely going to stay tuned for what's next. Awesome. Taylor, how about you? I just continued to, to highlight things that are not craft or artisanal. <laughs> Sticking with absolutely totally different direction and not a new product, but one that has been on my radar that I have never called out. And judge me if you want, I love Celsius. And I sometimes tweet photos of Celsius. I think whether or not, I'm not like a Red Bull drinker. I, I just don't love like coffee, to be honest. Like I can't really drink that much coffee. I hate the taste of coffee but I need at least enough energy to last me through like 9 p.m. So this I have Is it natural? Many... Is it energy level? So. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's sponsored by Celsius. <laughs> so anyway, I like it because I love the flavors. Um, there's just a bunch of flavors. I, I love watermelon. I love crepe. I love sparkling guava. Anyway, I know that it's not great to have a lot of energy drinks. And again, I'm not like an OG Red Buller or like monster drinker, but there's something about, I don't know, like, I guess also like the ethos of the company too. Like it does kind of cater towards, I'm a big runner. Um, I run four or five days a week. I don't know. It kind of just like is very synergistic with my life. Cause it's very like live fit is their model. And now they have Sean white on board. So can't knock Sean white. I like him a lot. Um, so anyway, it's not a new company. I just have been drinking their products for a while and really love the flavors and yeah, just, just, a just a big fan of what they're doing, but definitely not artisanal or craft or any type of fancy olive oil that I would send <laughs> over to Cam. Cam's going to go in a totally different direction. But anyway, Celsius is mine. Yeah, for me, it's like, uh, uh, I haven't tried Celsius yet, but I should. Um, but for me, um, there's one, it's a follow-up from last week. So the Christie's chips I got uh, that I highlighted last week, I did open them um, and they're awesome. Like they're uh, outside of like Zaps, which was like old school Louisiana, Southern style potato chips. Like these are the best. They're so good. Chips. Yeah. Christie's potato chips are up there with like that level. Like they're so good. Their big thing is just like simple ingredients uh, and they kind of like vegify um, um, ingredients. Um, um, sorry, flavors that wouldn't usually be vegan. So like uh, sour cream and onion, uh, nacho, con queso, things like that. Uh, they were spectacular. And the packaging is really cool. Uh, another brand, which I haven't tried yet, but I think they might be at Expo that I'm excited to check out is Read the Ingredients. Um, they are a super loaf, which I don't know if the word like loaf is really, re really marketable, um, but they just make like real ingredients, like um, this like loaf product that is like um, all this like bananas, carrots, like protein powder, quinoa, raisins, and it's really good stuff for like fueling up before an exercise. So I've been looking into it. I haven't pulled the trigger on it, but I did like the name. It's kind of a play on RX bar where they're putting the ingredients on the front, uh, like the packaging, a little hesitant again on like the word loaf and like how marketable that is, especially with like, uh, when you're probably marketing this <laughs> yeah. next to protein bars and things, but excited to, to search them out, uh, at expo and, and be a, a loaf convert. So, uh, I'll be looking out for that brand over at expo for sure wait wait cam cam did you just say vegify vegify yeah <laughs> what is, is that a, we're, is that we're gonna get that into the ecosphere here vega vegify <laughs> i'm not gonna be using that word anytime soon i still use spray yeah, yeah. From, guys come on the vegify. there Get we go vegify. uh jake how about you hey. um what's kind of any brands that caught your attention this week you know, one that catches my attention every week because I wear it every week is Crocs. Um, you know, the sandals or like, you know, I, I don't even know if they're called sandals. I feel like I cheat on them if I put on another sandal. And I think that's what means brand to me was when you feel that feeling that something could be like, you feel like you're having that FOMO against the brand. And I was wearing like Adidas sandals. Someone gave me them the other day and I was like, oh shit, where are my Crocs? I need to wear my Crocs. So I, I collect those Crocs. Um, I have like different flavors and different, well, flavors is the right word, different prints and stuff like that. So I think they did a great job coming back hot. And um, yeah, because they, I used to think they were ugly as sin. And then now I think they're gorgeous. And I actually wear them to sometimes like, you know, night outs. So I think that's a brand that's just stick, sticking in my head. 
Yeah. If anybody doesn't subscribe, the Spreza newsletter for men's fashion is really good. And they just did a big one on like how ugly footwear for men is coming back. And so it was talking about like this and New Balance and all that. So uh, it's definitely a big trend. And if, if nobody's met Jake, he's a he's a well-dressed individual. So you can trust <laughs> you can definitely trust his uh, his insights on this um, for sure. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's dive into some of the topics here. Um, we're definitely um, kind of have a theme here across some of the topics that we're talking about this week. The biggest one is um, Pepsi released nitrogen infused cola this month. Um, the company basically came out uh, saying this is one of the biggest innovations that they've come out with over the last few decades. Uh, it makes for a creamier, more craft experience of their traditional Pepsi uh, product. So they've got draft cola and then vanilla draft cola. I am a Coke guy uh, for the very seldom times I do drink soda, but I did think that this was kind of cool. Like I love old school, like vanilla Coke uh, and cherry Coke. Like if you're at like a diner or something, like that's awesome. And so if this has almost that like cream soda kind of almost mouthfeel to it, I'm definitely down for it. I think it's cool to see innovation sometimes from big companies um, when a lot of times they're just trying to grow through acquisition. So um, super excited to see this kind of come out from them um, and interested to see um, what the market is for this kind of um, product. CJ, what were kind of your first opinions when you saw this, uh, this announcement? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, we spend so much time like kind of tearing down the larger companies for how much they don't get it. Um, and I, I, I do think like one of the things that they do really well is like true product innovation. You know, I, I, I think maybe so they sometimes miss on how consumers want to interact and, and what modern brand building looks like. So like, I, I think we should take the opportunity to celebrate this. Like this is, this is hard to do. Um, it took, it took Starbucks forever to figure this out. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if behind the scenes, it was actually the Starbucks Pepsi partnership that, that figured out the, the nitro in the cold brew coffee. Um, so I, I, I love that they're attempting to bring this, have, you know, something that's materially different in product. I can't wait to try it. Um, I'm not sure it's something that's going to be super um, uh, sessionable um, because of like the creamy outcome, but um, I, I love seeing them at least try. And I think we should take the opportunity to celebrate real innovation when we see it from the, the larger corporate set. Yeah, I think it will play really well in food service too. I mean, if you almost have like Pepsi taps where you're doing kind of like this uh, nitro infused like Pepsi at the like a restaurant or bars and stuff, I think it'd be uh, super cool and a nice way to kind of spread the virality of this product for sure. Um, yeah, I Jay, mean, I, one sorry. of the biggest things, one of the biggest things we see is like this permissible indulgences, right? Um, and if soda, if soda is going to essentially go the way of the dinosaur because you can't drink five of them a day because they're so sugary. Pepsi's going to have to figure out a way to get into like that more permissible indulgences area. And maybe this is a good way to start. Yeah, I think it makes it like a little bit more excusable to kind of have that cheat day soda if you feel like you're having a little bit more of an event when you crack open that can for sure. Um, Jake, cool. how about you guys? Uh, I mean, for you, what was your thoughts on this? What do you think when you see big players in the space have innovation and how do you guys kind of approach innovation? Yeah, so I, I, I'm kind of like super down with CJ's opinion on um, it's exciting to see actual innovation come from these bigger companies and not just be acquisitions and all this stuff that they, they try to incorporate into their businesses, which is fine too, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of like refreshing. And I hope it, I actually hope for them it works because if it does, it will create a precedent, a statement that will maybe encourage the other bigger conglomerates to actually start doing that kind of stuff and actually invest in that. And that would create a whole new revolution to actually push the bigger picture of CPG forward. I mean, the bigger picture is create good products that are actually different and innovative. You know, I gave a speech the other day at um, Un a unified trade show, and it was all about like the lack of true innovation and how a lot of companies are either me too product, me making me too products, or they're just creating different packaging. Right. And I think that that's, something not cool that I don't want to see more of. I want to see more of what's true innovation. It will start with obviously the smaller brands, but I think if the big brands can get in on it and actually do it, it's actually a big growth for everyone. Um, so that's number one. Number two, how do we approach innovation? It's hard, man. It's fucking hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, chocolate is a very artisanal product and people don't realize that because it's, it's actually so sensitive to so many different things, whether that's smell, different ingredients, the chemical reactions, and you could go the typical route and just do a typical chocolate bar, or you could do the typical protein bars. But what we're trying to do is really trying to innovate on that chocolate space specifically, focusing just on chocolate. So for us, when we launch a new flavor, which we are launching one, which is going to be cookie dough, 
it's not typical cookie dough. It's not the artificial flavor cookie dough. It is something that's unique in texture. It reminds you of the flavor of cookie dough, but it's completely different. And I think when we do that, we see the explosion of sales come off right off the bat. That's not just a one-time explosion. It actually maintains because the product is truly innovative. It also fits the market. I think more brands need to focus on that, less on just launching more and more products, more on can you make a good quality, real good product that's innovative and focus less on skew, making so many skews, focus more on quality skew count. And that will create the trust with the consumer in the long run. And that's how we look at innovation. And it's, it's really hard. Every seven months, it takes us to launch a new flavor, eight months, even nine. Um, and that's because we don't, we have a statement that says, if it's not fuck yeah, then it's no. And that blocks a lot of different okay products or good products. And that leads us to great, which is something interesting. Yeah. One of the videos I love that I think you guys did was the coconut flavor where you guys walk through the whole process and like how the rejections and you think like a movie, right? This is going towards a positive uh, ending. And then it was kind of like, <laughs> no, we scrapped it after, you know, months of trying to do it. So it's cool to, to see that process and be like, hey, listen, if it doesn't cross our line, then we're not going to push it through. 100%. Taylor, how about you? Um, are you going to be cracking open a nitro infused soda anytime soon? So unlike you, I do drink soda. <laughs> and um, yes, I will. I loved, did you guys ever have vanilla Coke? Like there's a vanilla, it was like a vanilla Coke. I mean, yeah, vanilla Coke is, vanilla Coke is really good. It always reminds me of like Mel's Diner. Like, I don't know if it, like, uh, really like old yes. school, like hamburger places. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's pretty hard to beat. I, I really, so this is going to be an uphill battle for them in terms of, you know, my brand loyalty to vanilla Coke because I've had vanilla Coke forever, but I think it's great. I mean, obviously all the guys had a lot of, of more prolific things to say. I think from a packaging perspective, I think it's beautiful, super nostalgic. I agree too. It could be really interesting on tap. Um, I am more of a team Coke versus Pepsi person, but this seems really interesting. And I agree. I think this seems very strategic. Um, in a great fit for them. And hopefully the taste is there. Cause I think this could be a really cool ongoing line addition that people will really like. I I'm excited to try it for sure. Great. Let's, let's, let's stick with the kind of theme of larger CPG companies innovating. So two other headlines that came out this week was incredible, uh, was launched by post, uh, obviously post the makers of fruity pebbles and all of the, you know, childhood cereals that we all grew up on. They just launched a uh, keto friendly, um, cereal. That's really going to go after magic spoon and Catalina crunch. Um, I thought the branding was spectacular on that product as well. And like, I was like, Oh, this is like, it was like kind of my, oh shit, they're getting good at this. Like, this is not just like, not just Target can push out really good private label products that looks like really well-branded products. Like now big CPG brands are starting to learn about it. And that's a dangerous sign for, for some emerging brands, but it's also just like, you know, I think an all boats rises kind of thing, because it's going to bring more people to that keto market for sure. Um, the other one that was a little bit outside the box was Kraft um, and Notco. Um, partnered up. Anybody who doesn't know Notco, they're kind of the, if you ever see the cartons of milk at the store that have the big X through the cow, uh, they make plant-based uh, dairy products. Basically, Kraft and Notco are pairing up. Kraft is going to use their technology to push through innovation of Kraft kind of, um, the, the Kraft brands that we all love, right? The mac and cheese, things like that, but make them plant-based using Notco, which I think is a really cool attempt um, to, to incorporate one of these companies, not through acquisition, but through partnerships, which we don't usually see. Um, but just kind of sticking with the theme that we have early on today, innovation in this space. So, so Taylor, why don't we um, start with you on this topic? Uh, any thoughts on either or and, and kind of how these bigger brands are, are approaching growth here? I mean, I worked for Post Cereal for a while. Um, I'm not familiar with the not milk in full transparency. I, I'm looking at the packaging. It doesn't look familiar to me, but that's also really interesting. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, them offering a keto friendly, I even, I mean, I helped them launch a gluten-free variety of Fruity Pebbles back in the day with John Cena, uh, which was quite a fun project. Just some mashup. It was, it was like, I had the opportunity to either get my master's at USC or work on a project with John Cena for Fruity Pebbles. I was like, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I never went back. Um, so anyway, how did, how did you ever see him, Taylor? He's invisible. How'd you see him? <laughs> he's he's actually one of the nicest people to work with. Him and there's a, anyway, we could do a whole special on nice celebrities. Uh, John Cena has has always had such a great reputation. But anyway, um, 
no, this is cool. I mean, obviously this is kind of like a next iteration. Back in the day, I remember launching a gluten-free pebbles was like, people were just lost. People were writing us being like, what does this mean for us in the future of fruity pebbles? I'm like, nothing. This is just offering more people more options. And so this to me, flash forward many years, I think obviously they're trying to ride, like you said, Cam, like this is, this is great. I don't see an issue with it. I think this is just offering more people, you know, keto friendly options, right? Kind of like what they did back in the day with gluten-free options. And so, I mean, the packaging looks kind of very similar to a magic spoon, right? Isn't that the other? Yeah, it looks very yeah. similar. Yeah, they just, there. I mean, they it's just let, they let an intern loose on camera. <laughs> Ooh, Looking like, at this, I'm some, like, you know, hmm. some Sam Sarah font. Here we go. Yeah. Like, we've got this, guys. Like, yeah, it's uh, irrelevant what's inside. But no, I mean, look, there's obviously there's a huge market. I'm as to no one's surprise, not keto either. Um, but I do see more and more offerings for keto options, all of which look really good. People obviously love like what's out there right now. So why not, like you said, just offer something if the people are asking for it and there's a market for it, why not? But I will say that the packaging looks a bit too yeah. close to comfort. Yeah, a bit Stay too close to comfort. numbers here. <laughs> um yeah. cj on your end from an investor standpoint like when you look at you know if a keto friendly cereal comes and pitches you this week is this something that spooks you or you're like oh yeah this is great because now keto is becoming more well known uh, to a larger audience and more players are going to win yeah i mean like so two, kind of two things one like this is like the opposite of pepsi this, this, this is just straight copying um and and isn't innovation if post is listening um might sell great um and and I, and I am all for rising tide lifts all boats like as an investor like like from from a fundraising standpoint when i'm out raising funds like the most frequent question i get asked is like well why can't insert big conglomerate here just do the thing that you're investing in and my answer is like god i hope they try um you know, like, like they're because they're never going to get all the other pieces of uh, um of the smaller brands that are growing and making this work as far as how they interact with consumers so like you know whenever i see stuff like this i i get super happy you know for you know for all the the founders and investors that invested in in, in the, the cereals that this is trying to copy um that being said on the on the not the not co stuff i actually think that's pretty cool um you know we talked a lot when we were talking about impossible and beyond like how there's you know two ways to do this there's try to become an expert in everything plant-based and make your own product line or there's like try and be the intel inside strategy um and i love that that not you is is going that way and i actually think it works really really well with their position I mean, like on their website they talk about their ai engine um for figuring out different you know you know consistencies mouthfeels flavors etc and like well normally I am not a fan of like science-based brand positioning because I think that kind of falls flat for consumers. It's tremendous for a B2B2C company. Um, so while I think the Incredibles dud, I think the Not You Craft um, um, collaboration, absolute stud. Awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think the biggest thing is like the different, I always say like the difference between the bigger companies and the smaller companies when they're innovating is the smaller companies just have the patience to build like the audience. And like these bigger brands are just going to now pump this through the distribution, but there's no patience and like building that foundation with your customers to make it relatable. And the biggest thing is like customers are just so smart now. Like they know, even though this is meant to look just like Magic Spoon, they're going to know it's not, and they're going to do the research and, and they're just smarter and, and more attuned to like what is pushed through big food and what isn't. Um, Jake, kind of your thoughts on, on these kind of two innovations and, and how you're approaching it. Yeah, I think you just said it right, Cam. I think the authenticity is going to be the big problem they're going to have because you're right, Magic yeah. Spoon authentically did it. And then, you know, you got these bigger companies, you're right, they, the patience is not there. They don't have the patience needed to build a brand. A brand doesn't just come with the snap of a finger. It takes effort, time, and energy to build it and, and patience, actually. And I think you're right. They're not going to see their numbers pop right off the bat, or maybe they will from distribution, but they're not going to see the follow-ups and it's going to make them make rash, irrational decisions quickly. Right. Cause they're all about quarterlies, right They They have to hit their quarterly numbers. If they're a public company, I don't know if, if post is, but 
I think that the problem with all that stuff is, is you're right. They don't have the dynamic small mindset, which is what allows emerging brands to go out there and, and build the real communities, which if they're doing that, they're going to have longevity as a business because when you have a community, like I said before with the Crocs example, I felt uncomfortable wearing it, which is the stupidest thing in my opinion. I felt uncomfortable wearing the sandals from Adidas because I was so attached to Crocs. So I buy the Crocs consistently, right? And I think that's what's going to happen. These bigger companies don't take that into effect. They're not taking that into consideration and it's going to hit them hard. Number two is I do like the partnership of connecting to the technology to like, you know, these, these bigger companies because they need it. They do. They need something. They need something to keep them relevant, I think is the word. Because if they're not relevant, eventually over the next 10 to 15 years, there's going to be massive declines in their products, in their sales, in their, in their company culture, in all the stuff that you're seeing from the emerging or medium-sized businesses right now that are taking advantage of it. It's, it's like, you know, it's a no-brainer. So I think Kraft making that initiative is very exciting, in my opinion. Um, do I think it's going to be great for their products? I don't know. Um, again, I don't buy necessarily those products. So for me, I don't know if my shopping would change because of that. So I'm trying to think how other consumers would react. Um, but I still think there's emerging brands doing it better. So I'll stick with them. Is pricing, sorry, quick question, guys, just pricing factor in it all? Like, again, I don't buy magic spoon, but like is post cereals, price point for this stuff like is that i don't know i'm just curious like is there a huge discrepancy in pricing because maybe they don't want to buy a magic spoon because it is more you know i don't know it's more expensive by three to four bucks and if they already are post cereal family why not try something if you know what i mean like i don't know if you guys know but that would be an interesting question i'd want to look into is cost. yeah i think with like keto people just the same way with like uh vegan or any subset that's really religious about what they're doing sometimes uh price signals value and so a lot of times like if they're if they see a cheaper one on the mar on the on the shelf it might almost be like oh this is a worse value than one i've been buying hmm. with magic spoon or something so i think it might have a reverse effect but i think it's more for like the person who's been buying like fruity pebbles, things like that, and is trying to make a small tweak to be a little bit healthier. That's maybe who they're trying to convert. But yeah, I mean, we can definitely dive a little bit deeper and do some research on like who they're actually targeting with this, because I find it hard that they're going to go after the hardcore keto crowd that's already been taking this and more for like, maybe like the keto curious I, crowd. I think just to add, I think that's a good market to target though. I think the transitioners so that, I don't know if that's a word even, but the people that are transitioning <laughs> or trying to do mini changes, not the full blown change. Cause if you're going the full blown change, you're probably going to the magic spoon. Cause you, like you said, you've identified with that recently or in the past, but I think the transitional phase is a, such a big market in the United States. I think that's the, the key moneymaker. And for us that as a business, we're actually targeting that consumer right now. We're the one going after the one that, you know, used to eat, you know, you know, let's call it uh, milk candy bars and stuff like that. And that want to transition to a better for you bar. That's not too proteiny and stuff like that. Right. So I think we're seeing from our own internal data that it's a massive customer base and, and they're willing to pay a little bit more and they, they're, they're, they're starting to become more educated on certain things because of the media and social media and all this stuff. So I think that just the idea of coming off from a conglomerate already has this like weird connotation, but for some odd reason, but I think that it's going to be interesting if they do grab that transitional customer, which is already their customer. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome points by everybody for sure. Um, all right. Transitioning a little bit um, out of uh, big food and into a company that is hopefully going to be big food here in a few more years and, and kind of the raise that we like to highlight every, every week. Uh, Good Culture uh, raised $64 million in funding. Uh, they raised $2 million in 2016. I think that was led by Cavu and then $8 million in 2019. A lot of this is going towards innovation, getting to $100 million in sales, and I think providing some liquidity to uh, their previous investors as well. I think the cool thing with good culture, and I said this on Twitter, it's like, sometimes you don't have to do something so drastically different. Like you can have a better branded, slightly better for you product in a really big market and just execute like crazy and create a hundred million dollar, billion dollar company just from doing that. And I think we look at like such a nascent category like uh, cottage cheese. Um, it's like, it's kind of even gross to say, <laughs> and it's like, and it's just, they're, they're crushing it. And they're probably getting a huge younger market too. And 
and bringing them into this fold. Um, and I just think it's it's super cool and super innovative. And um, I, I wish them all the success on this, even though I'm not a big you know dairy eater. Um, I think that what they're doing in this space is really cool. Um, CJ, kind of what your thought? What are your thoughts on, on this raise and kind of what they're building over there? I mean, first of all, I like cottage cheese, which I, maybe makes me a psychopath, but like, <laughs> I appear to be like the last, the last millennial that consumes dairy, um, and I'm I'm gonna die on that hill. I love it. I, I drink some I drink some milk and eat some midday squares right now if I could. Um, as far as the as far as the raise, like I I think terrific, good good for them, great execution. Um, I, I, I the only thing that I kind of have to add that's kind of interesting is. It's, it's peculiar to me that General Mills investment arm wants to take take off the table in the form of a secondary. Like, I, you know, typically when you have corporate VC, they're, they're in it to potentially execute eventual acquisitions. Um, so I thought that was kind of notable, but other than that, this is just good raised by a good company who's out executing well. Yeah, and I know there might not be a ton to add to this, um, but just kind of like any thoughts, um, Taylor, uh, kind of when you saw the raise come through, and then I'm assuming by your face uh, during this, you're not a big cottage cheese eater. Uh, no, but, 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 I think I eat so much Greek yogurt, like I I eat like I take half of like the inventory that my local grocery store has. I'll take like the lemon variety, the regular variety. I take all of it. I love Greek yogurt. I actually think with cottage cheese, I am making a face, CJ, no offense to you, but I think cottage cheese, just like you said, if they could rebrand it and call it something else, like I, maybe that will help them. But I'm but, like a 60 yeah. year old Midwesterner in, 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 in like a younger, <laughs> like, like uh, I'll, I'll eat a casserole too while I'm at it. I'm sure you will, and a fruitcake. Um, but the yeah. thing is, is I think I think cottage cheese actually has. I'll, I won't talk as much about the raise. I think CJ had good points there, but like, I think from a cottage cheese perspective, I think it just needs like herbal essences. When we had that conversation, like a revamp. Be honest, because I am a healthy eater. I do like eating dairy, and I like eating protein. That. Um, you know, is a good source of protein. So cottage cheese is actually like a great option for me. I just feel like there's all these stigmas around it. So like maybe if they rebranded it and kind of went in the direction that Greek yogurt and other yogurts have, there's a chance that people could catch on. Um, and also last week, I don't know if you guys saw, but like hood, <laughs> maybe CJ already bought it, but I have everything with everything bagel seasoning. Like I love everything basil, big, everything bagel seasoning and hood, cottage cheese like another brand that i've like haven't heard about since i used to use herbal essences um they came out with like a cottage cheese with everything but the bagel seasoning last week so i don't know maybe there's maybe there's something maybe there's something here i think they I'm just need a good it. marketing i'm sure you are i think they it. just need like i wonder i wonder if the help. truth and yeah, I wonder if the truth or consequences uh, local tiny store stocks that probably not. <laughs> I also think CJ is going to tweet at like, I think he's going to like put this out there and like at hood, eh, like all the cottage cheese companies to see what he gets yeah. in terms of some samples. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, the sponsorship since Listerine didn't come through for you. Like maybe the, <laughs> maybe the cottage cheese cartel will come through for me. Jake, uh, Jake, what's what's your kind of thoughts when you see, um, you know, not, obviously not in the same space as you, but another food company uh, kind of raised like this? What what are your thoughts for the space, and then how do you guys kind of approach, you know, fundraising over at Midday Squares? Yeah, all for it. Uh, exciting to see that uh, the brand's getting some action and some some stuff. I think, like Taylor said, and, and CJ, you know, I don't like cottage cheese Caesars either. I don't know how you, how you eat it, but um, it's not food. more for me. Yeah, I think it's more for CJ, but like for me, like I, I, it doesn't even phase me. This news that just passed over me, but I think as an entrepreneur that does raise funds, I think it's important. Um, I think we're seeing a lot, and CJ is obviously a, a, an investor and stuff like that. So I think we're seeing a lot of capital being deployed into companies, and I don't know if that's a great thing or if that's like an okay thing. Um, for us, we just came off a raise um, recently, and we didn't we don't over raise, and I think. We get what we need to get to what what we say we're going to get to and um, maybe a little buffer. But for us, you know, like people are telling us, go raise 20 million, 30 million dollars. And we're like, no, we don't need it. It takes more time. It's more it's more time, more stressful, some more investors involved. And it's like, I don't know. I think this world of investing is, is wild. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of capital go into businesses. And I guess they're taking the chance on hitting a home run on a lot of them. But for me, I don't know. I, I feel like 
Canadians lack the, the funding here. I think the Canadian venture funds don't fund on risk as much. I think the American ventures do, which is exciting from an American standpoint. But I don't know, I'm, I'm all for um, innovation being pumped with money um, as long as it gets executed. And I know they've executed in the past, this company. So I'm excited to see them continue to execute. Hopefully they get to that 100 million because uh, I'm cheering them on. Never tried their product, never, never really engaged with the brand, but um, I'm cheering them on and I'm cheering on any other emerging brand that's going after some sort of innovation. Um, you know, and uh, kudos to people like CJ that fund um, emerging brands and stuff like that. So, so yeah. Well, so the, the interesting thing that we're seeing right now, Jake, is like as the public markets like go into a little bit of turmoil and like, you know, it's, it's almost like there's a whole phase shift and almost everybody goes risk off and, and a deal that everybody was excited to fund two weeks ago. Now everyone's scared and like the, it has some interesting ripple effects as it goes to the private markets, like specifically in the area that I invest in, I can't really comment on like how it affects AI startups and machine learning, but like almost counterintuitively, the companies that have the best traction and the best execution get flooded with capital offers. Um, and and we're, we're seeing that across the board. You know, anybody who's like, you know, closing in on like, we'll say, you know, between, you know, 25 or 30 million plus in 22 in revenue, they are getting funding offers like every single day um, because there's a weird flight to safety that, that happens in this time. And everyone's like, well, that, you know, multiples are contracting, but we're pretty sure that one's going to make it. So let's just go throw money at it. And then like on the seed side, like the people with the best ideas and the really interesting disruption innovation, I think they'll still get funded for the most part, but they'll, they'll see some multiple contraction. It's the ones in the middle who like didn't really have the traction, didn't really have a truly unique idea, don't have a founding team that is, you know, you know, kind of really changing the way that, you know, customer acquisition looks like or community, but like they're the ones they're going to see funding dry up really, really quickly when, when the public market shift like this. So I think, I think this is without having inside information about the deal, this is probably more of the, the flight to safety. Hey, th these guys are on a good track. They've executed before. Let's give them a lot of capital because we don't want to put it someplace that we think is riskier. I, I love that. I love that. I, I think that, I think you're right. The public markets, wherever they're at has definitely an effect on, on venture funding or seed funding or, or private equity funding. Right. I think um, we're seeing this right now. And, and I, and you're right. I think once you pass like maybe like that 20 mark in revenue, they're getting flooded because you're right. Traction has shown product market fit. Let's call it. I think it's a little bit more than product market fit, but that's definitely a factor. And I, I just think that the seed part, though, is what I worry for. So people like, you know, under a million in revenue right now is are they going to get funded or the risk is the risk factor too high right now for them? And they're going to get actually gypped, not like what it was two years ago or a year and a half ago. Um, do you think CJ that's going to have an effect on the smaller brands? I, I, I think the really the, the the ideas that are unique and and like and and this is this is you know first of all we have to dig into like who is the arbiter of what's unique okay and and I do realize that all founders have a journey but you know a year ago you could get just about any better for you idea funded um, I think now you're going to have to come in on the seed stage with a very, very tight idea of who it is for, why that consumer is going to come to it, um, you, you know, what, what your channels are going to be, et cetera. And, and those, those founders that shine and are able to elucidate that positioning, they're still going to get seed funding. They're going to get at a slightly lower multiple than they got into the last few years, but they're still going to get funded. It's more that like the margins where like people are, you know, you know waking up and saying, I'm going to make it better for you. Yeah, cottage cheese. <laughs> For example, like they, that, that might be a, a harder thing to get funded without a really, really rigorous plan at the seed stage. But I do think that enough of the of the funders realize that we're in such early stages of like a complete sea change in CPC that they want to go out and fund. They're just not going to be throwing money around quite as um, as recklessly. 
I didn't even need to do the segue for that topic because you guys just covered it beautifully there. We were going to talk a little bit about DTC brands getting a little bit lower uh, numbers and funding over the last year and how DTC um, kind of first investor groups are now starting to mix up their portfolio with also a lot of more B2B SaaS and platforms that power those companies. Um, you know, good news for, for a company like ours, but bad news for emerging brands that are especially DTC first that have been trying to grow. Um, but I think you guys beautifully covered that topic. And I know we're up against the hour. Uh, and I really, uh, Jake, wanted to get your feedback kind of on this last topic, but 2PM and Deloitte uh, came out with kind of this annual review of the state of DTC. Uh, and there was a few concerning things and, and just kind of a few red flags for brands to be aware of. And I think as a person that talks to brands on a weekly basis, uh, you know, it kind of comes up uh, pretty frequent, frequently to me. Um, one, it's kind of how brands are moving omni-channel faster and looking at retail more as a customer acquisition strategy um, versus kind of just growing 100% online um, as long as they were. Uh, and we've seen that um, kind of in spades here at WeStock with a ton of DC brands joining over the last month month. Um, Apple really affecting everything with their iOS changes, uh, CAC continuing to rise, and then kind of brands not understanding Web3 and what, how to approach it. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on just kind of how Midday Squares is continuing to adapt to, to DTC and kind of any advice that you'd have for brands as we as we wrap up this week's episode. Cameron, great, uh, great. I actually had a call, I'm not going to say the brands, but I had a call with two brands in the last week. Um, that are D2C brands. Specifically, I think they're 95% or 100% D2C and they, they have a good amount of revenue, like a, quite amount. And they're kind of in this panic mode where um, they feel like they need to rush to Omni right away into retail. And, and I worry that a lot of these brands are going to go too quickly into retail in the sense where, again, patience is important, where how you execute, how you organize, get your pricing correct, get everything into tact, your brokers, your distributors, et cetera, instead of just rushing and putting I think there's going to be a big collapse on that unless they do it right. However, if they do do if they do or execute that well, they might have a lot of success because the brand awareness is there. For midday squares, um, when we when we started, we were mostly D 2 C. So in 2018, August 2018, now we're about 43% D 2 C, 57% retail, and that number is growing to 75, 25 over the next two years, I believe, to re- retail to D 2 C. Um, we don't want to be D 2 C heavy. You know, our products refrigerated. To ship chocolate cold, it's insulated, reusable ice packs, it's very difficult, very costly to get our product from Montreal to California, to Texas, to wherever. Um, So we're opening up some 3PLs to lower those freight costs and stuff like that, which is going to help. But for us, it's solely a marketing tactic right now. Otherwise, um, we're going full guns blazing on retail. So we're really, you know, we're in 2,200 stores right now, I think across US. By the end of this year, we're supposed to be in about 3,500, 4,000 total. Um, and then keep growing it like that, but not rush it to 20,000 doors or 15,000. It's not the demand's not the problem. It's the turns in store that you need to focus on and the logistics of for being a self manufacturer, we manufacture our own products. We need to make sure our ops is okay and that our margins continuously grow um, so that this business doesn't go out of business, you know? So I think um, D2C businesses need to start getting into retail, but don't rush, do it properly is my advice. Yeah. Love that. Uh, anybody to like looking to approach retail and kind of what Jake just said there about like, uh, we've seen, I see so many brands that go like from 1000 to then like 5,000 stores. Like it's really like the good rule of thumb is like double your store count. Um, and anybody who hasn't read Ramping Your Brand by Dr. James Richardson, it's a really good book about like how to thoughtfully just grow your brand and kind of what he always talks about, like riding the ramp. Uh, I always say that and then Mission in a Bottle by the Honest Guys, like the best CPG books to read. Um, but definitely check those out. Jake, um, awesome nuggets here. Awesome feedback. Looking uh, so forward to seeing you at Expo. Thanks so much for joining us. Taylor, CJ, as always, uh, thanks so much for another great episode. And we will see everybody next week. Love all. Hey, Cameron, can, can I, can okay. I, can I toot, we've stuck. Can I, can I toot we stocks horn for it since, since uh, you, you never fully do on these episodes. But, um, Feel free to it, toot it away. Your, it was your, it was your biggest month ever for new brands um, onboarding. So congrats. Thank you. Lots of, <laughs> lots of DTC brands uh, looking to grow in retail. So it's, uh, it's been fun to go. have those conversations and ahead of Expo West. So be excited to, to connect with more brands. And I think we have like 50 brands at, at Expo West. So it's like, wow. I'm so excited to actually meet those people in person. Like that's always the, the best thing for sure. So um, awesome. Yeah, CJ, I appreciate that. Uh, and appreciate all of you. See you all at Expo West, except for Taylor. You'll be there in spirit and uh, have a great week.